This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report and newly also with FlowRugby.com. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, we're actually back with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. All three of us are on the show. Uh, before we get to saying hello to those guys, Rugga Matrix America is brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. And also a shout out to our friends at Irish Rugby Tours, who uh, provided plenty of the fodder for our last show, which was talking with Pete Steinberg, who, apropos of nothing, just sort of jumped out and said Irish Rugby Tours are great, and um, they're helping the U.S. women's national team get ready for Ireland 2017. And if you've got nothing better to do, and in fact, even if you have something better to do, uh, maybe you should go check out the Women's World Cup in Ireland. Irish Rugby Tours will hook you up there. Uh, Pat and Bruce. Bruce, I haven't seen you in ages. Pat, we just saw each other in your own, in your stomping grounds in Kansas City. So um, you actually got to show me a little bit, just a, a small uh, segment of how great Kansas City is because it was a busy weekend, a, but uh, it was good. A little sliver of sampling. No, it was enjoyable. It was great to be in my city and be surrounded by a million people that I know and um, so many people there for the first time. I, I You know, Matt McCarthy from Rugby Wrap-Up was blown away with how nice everyone was from the, the staff at Swope Park and, and everybody helping put on the high school nationals and, um, you know, and reminded me kind of why I like living in the Midwest a little bit. But, no, it was good to show show you and anyone else around a little bit. I don't have to drive to the airport uh, again anytime soon. I'm fine with that. So. <laughs> you gave, gave me a ride. Uh, I'm sure you gave uh, a few others a lift too. And, uh, uh, but it's nice to see someone proud of their hometown, and rightfully so. Even if everybody wears that god awful blue. <laughs> well, it'll, you know it'll be red once the, the leaves start changing in the fall. Right, but I hate the Royals. Um, you know, just just I just do. Um, uh, Bruce, what you what, what have you been up to? Hanging out. I'm going to a, a fundraiser for ALS One for uh, Seamus Kelly's dad. John is raising money to support ALS one. That's going to be the week of Eagle game. And I'm Eagle game against Ireland in, in New Jersey. And I've just been tying up some loose ends that I own and working. I like say the Eagle game, because of course, if it's the one that happens in New Jersey, then that's the only one that matters, right? Uh, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's true. Um, all right. Well, well. Let's let's talk about the the Eagles. before we talk about the Eagles. Just just in case you don't know, um, uh, I've taken a editing position with FlowRugby.com, and so you'll be hearing the term Flow Rugby. That's F L O R U G B Y. You'll be hearing that a lot. And you say, "What is that?" And a lot of people ask me about what is that. Um, I'm still writing for Golf Rugby Report. I am uh, editor at FlowRugby.com, producing content for both some Golf Rugby Report content shifts over to flow rugby flow rugby is doing a lot of uh live coverage live web stream coverage and i'm going to be working with them on developing that it's exciting it's really good for the game you'll see a lot of kind of i i don't know if i want to say grassroots grassroots kind of makes me think like seven-year-olds but um but young rugby the stuff that i've been covering high school uh college stuff uh, some some club stuff that's not covered uh, on a live stream live stream uh, commonly. So it's going to be a new thing in the realm that'll help people see more rugby, see more rugby of people they know. So that'll be fun. Keep an eye out for that. Anyway, um, what they won't be doing is showing live Eagles games because that's already taken care of. The rights already uh, there for someone else. Uh, we do want to talk about the U.S. national team right now because we're just entering into a critical phase for the Eagle men. We talked about the Eagle women in the last show, so go check out that with Pete Steinberg. So leading into this, leading into the four games, Ireland, the only one that matters, right, in New Jersey, then against Georgia in Georgia, but two different Georgias, and then the two-game series against Canada for the World Cup qualifier. We find out that right after this, July 2nd, we're done with those four games, John Mitchell is going to take a job with the Blue Bulls in South Africa and leave the Eagles. How do we feel about that? 
guess it depends which part. I mean, it's, it's good that Mitchell's gone. Um, I have not been a fan of his since he came. Um, and and I, I'm not a fan of the way he came. I'm not a fan of the structure of his contract. That's not saying anything of him as a coach. Um, I'm just not a fan of, I don't think he was the right coach at the right time for the Eagles for a, a zillion different reasons. The fact that we're cash strapped and he was costing us more than any Eagles coach has ever cost us. Um, it just didn't make sense. And so I think for the union and for the national team, it's a positive thing that, that he's stepping down. I, not a big fan of the fact that we're allowing him to coach through the World Cup qualifiers, though. I, I think that, um, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't let him touch the team. And I know we're worried that uh, if you have a transition to a different coach during that time, what, what it could look like, so on and so forth. But interim coaches are, are a thing of the world. And I'm not sure I would want Mitchell uh, continuing to, you know, touch my team through the next two months. I totally agree. You know, the, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So it's exactly what's happened in the past happened. Then he, um, you know, he made $260,000 a year and he is, figures he's only got to be in the country for 11 to 13 weeks. I mean, it was highway robbery. It was an asinine hire. It was an asinine contract. And it, college bowl teams do it all the time. Coach leaves. Okay, see you. And they go to, you know, they'll go to major bowls without a coach and take another guy in. I have no idea why they would even consider keeping him on. I would just be like, all right, good luck. And I'd be it. I think that maybe here's what I would imagine the thinking is. Um, First of all, he's not going to competitor. It's not like he's taking a job with Canada or something like that. He's going to a non-national team position. But the other thing would be that everyone freaks out about team unity. And and I, I brought this up before. Um, so I apologize I'm repeating our, myself. But Pat, you know what it's like going into a critical moment for the national team, usually being World Cup qualifiers and then World Cup. Suddenly, behavior changes because everyone's desperately f- fearful of upsetting the team apple cart, making waves or whatever analogy you want to bring in. So I could see somebody saying, boy, the, pl- the players are all going to get thrown off if we have someone new. And so we can't, we can't afford to change that. That would be too scary. Uh, that's the logic, right? That's the line of thought. That right. That's we have the these line really important Rugby World Cup. We have these really important qualifiers coming up. Um, we need to keep as much continuity through them as possible. The guys have all prepared under Mitchell's system, so on and so forth. And that's the line of thought, and I get that argument. I just, I don't, first off, I don't think it's worth it. I think you could take, no matter who, if you say, all right, Marty Veal, you're going to be our interim head coach, or um, Phil Greening, you're going to be our interim head coach, or Mike Friday, you're going to be our interim head coach. I think that you still keep, you have an Eagle staff here, right? And as we talked about, this isn't, it's not like the head coach is in contact and touching these players every day. He's touching them 11 to 13 times in a year. So, or 11 to 13 weeks out of a year. So it's not like uh, uh, you're taking something out of someone's daily life that they no longer know how to live without, A. B, it's a whole staff that's involved in coaching these guys, and if you just take one part out of that staff, it's not like you have to – you forget how to play the game of rugby because the head of the snake is gone. So I think that there could you could have maintained continuity with your staff even in, in your player base, even without Mitchell. Um, so I – I just, you know, if for the problem all along has been lack of commitment, right? And if lack of commitment is the issue, how much time do you think Mitchell is going to actually commit and how much, you know, intellectual bandwidth and effort is he going to commit when he's got a super rugby season to worry about next year um, over the next few months to really prepare his team? And so I think you have an absentee guy um, to begin with, and now he's already got another job to worry about. You could just further exacerbate exacerbate the issue. Secondly, you know, I don't. Even, I'm losing count of my points and subpoints. I don't even know if it's this is point. This point. is point nine a. Go ahead. Fourteenthly, uh, <laughs> you know, we've never even qualified as America's one. So it's not like if we lose to Canada two times in a row this summer, or we lose the aggregate, that all of a sudden we're sweating and worried about not making the World Cup. We, this would be unprecedented for, for us to actually do it. 
Um, so, it, you know, there's still two years out. There's still plenty of ways to qualify. So it's but not I, like I, but I think bus. we've got to keep the same guy driving. I think that's your answer as to why he might, why John Mitchell might actually put in a full month's work, which is all it is uh, at, at this point is a full month, is that his legacy, and a lot of people get concerned about this, his legacy could be that he left them, you know, you can't really change the rankings. They're going to be 17th or 16th or whatever. It doesn't, not going to change. But if he says they qualified as the number one seed from America's for the first time ever because of me, and then I, I left them in the better, the best position possible, and then I left, it just makes him look good. It's, he knows, well, of, of all the people who knows, he knows what it's like to leave a national coaching job under a cloud with New Zealand. I think you hit the nail on the head with him because I – Actually, when he got hired, went through reading his entire book, and the amount of times he mentioned his – if I had a dollar for every time he mentioned his winning percentage with the All Blacks, I would uh, be sitting in a much nicer house right now with a working air conditioner. So um, you know, I know he cares about his legacy. I know he has a lot of pride in his win-loss record, and it kind of made me throw up in my mouth a little bit when I had to write the, the story about him leaving – and the fact that he's probably going to be the winningest coach in the history of U.S. of the of the men's national team, if you just look at wins and losses, he's going to be the only one that has a winning record over Canada during his time. He's going to be the only one to win a trophy since 1924. So he's going to have some pretty shiny things he could point to. Um, even though, if you look deeper, you realize they never beat a team that they were, you know, ranked um, behind. Uh, you know, they, the America's Rugby Championship is this new thing that uh, all the other coaches didn't get to pad their legacies with. And he lost to Brazil, which is the worst, you know, rankings the, lost in the history of the right, world. The worst, rankings. worst upside of all time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, all those things are true. But you know what? Just And that's that's something we do have to remember. Uh, you know, um, we we were on pace to say some of that stuff about Eddie O'Sullivan, too. And then the the wheels started to fall off the bus emotionally more than anything else. Um, Bruce, you've got there are some guys you know on the national team close to it. I'm um, I've tried to get some thoughts from players over time about how they feel about you know they, they always they're always grateful to be on the team, right? But how do they feel about the coach? How do they feel about the coaching. Um, I don't get enough of a straight answer to really feel comfortable with it. Other than uh, you know, a few of them seem to be pretty happy with it. Um, they're not bored with the style of play. Um, what are you hearing? The guys I know like Mitchell. They, yeah. You know, they don't have no problem with him as a as a person or a coach. They' I'm not going to say that that's true of everyone else. Uh, Phil Greening, but um, that's. They like him, I so I don't I don't think that's really an issue. And I mean, if you got if if a rugby coach goes out there and he's organized and and he and he runs a good practice and you're you you're having success. I mean, as Pat said, a lot of the success is fraudulent, but it's still success. And there's a a real opportunity. Canada is very down, and and the reason Canada's down is the same reason they're up in sevens is that they're not carding and, and they're not helping any players who are forwards. If you're not a sevens player, you don't get any aid or any help. So they are playing without a pack, and the United States has been exploiting that. And so that's been a, 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 a good thing, but it's, it's not necessarily that they're, things are so much better because they they, they've won, won some great games, but the performances haven't been haven't been super great, but as far as the vibe and the atmosphere, the players like them. They don't have a. There's not much of a drama with that. Mitchell's biggest problem is that he just chose to stay in South Africa, and and when uh, when they they had the panel that put it together to sign him up, they basically have a contract that allows him to do it. I don't know how he got a visa, <laughs> and. An, an old visa to be able to do that because an old visa you you live in America, but that's the that's really what happened. And so they're going to choose. Well, the trick is wish them well, and you know that's they chose. They're going to go with them, and so you got to wish them well. The one thing about the early qualification pack 
is that it saves a bit of money on the travel end to play more, you know, lower ranked teams. And it allows us an opportunity in, in the November series and, and some of the June series when there's other qualification things going on that the U S would be able to play, you know, slightly stronger teams we might be able to play a, you know, a, a summer, a summer Wales team or something like that, or, or get maybe a couple more games against Samoa or Fiji or something like that. It just gives you, gives the competition level a, a nudge up as, as you're preparing to go into the world cup. My 83rd point was going to be the one that you made that, um, you know, we could probably walk into this without Mitchell and still probably beat Canada because we're riding uh, quite the winning streak over them and they are down. So that was kind of where I was going. Not, not to say that you throw away qualification, um, uh, and the value of qualifying early. Cause I, I understand that, uh, but, but you, going back to your point and, uh, or not your point, the question that Alex asked, you know, and you could correct me where I'm wrong here, but I think towards the end of Mike Tolkien's time, it got kind of unfun for the players. Things were tense. Uh, the, the the need to win was really high, and not that it shouldn't always be there in a high-performance team, but the players weren't having a lot of fun in the culture and environment that was there. And Mitchell came in and uh, was really fun. And so for a lot of those guys that carried over from one to the other, um, towards the end of Tolkien's time to the beginning of Mitchell's time, I think really appreciated what Mitchell brought to the table in terms of loosening things up a little bit. And um, you're not, they weren't, didn't feel like they were walking on eggshells quite as much as they did towards the end of Tolkien. I, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm not so sure about all of that. Um, there's a difference between being at a world cup and not being, at, you know, and the Americans rugby championship. Of course. So, it and there was the the problem with the USA team in the in the World Cup was that our bracket was so favorable to actually even become a quarter finalist, although it was unlikely, it was the only place that they could have. In any other bracket they couldn't have done. Not not even a not a smidgen, not a thought of it, not anything. So in this one there was there was high hopes, high expectations about possibly beating Samoa. So a few things happened early doors and, you know, probably, you know, there was the, there was the clever situation and, and that's, you know, and that would, uh, that caused problems and maybe whatever was done to either should have done it earlier or should have not done it at all. And, but that said, you know, I, I know that most of the players agreed with what was done, at least the ones I spoke to. So yeah, it, it, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to rehash old scenarios. No, I, know that. I'm saying and I don't think, I don't think I, I think for the World Cup experience, most of the players would tell you if they're being honest that they had less fun then than they were having. You know, it's three months later. That's not just the. I'm not well, saying that that's one coach's problem versus the it, other. It's just, it's it, just that, the whole situation. That seems, to happen, that seems to happen around World Cup time anyway. Um, the pressure is felt by the coach. The, the pressure is felt by the players. Uh, somebody gets left off the team, uh, and, and people are sad about that. Uh, the team doesn't. You know, the buildup is unsatisfactory, things like that. Um, uh, it seems like it becomes so much about business and taken so seriously. I, I don't know. I just remember, it just seems like every world cup it's, it's like that. It's certainly, certainly the, the vibe tanked miserably in 2011 going into uh new Zealand world cup. And, uh, and, and at times the, the, the team played well, uh, but that I don't, I don't know if they were having a lot of fun. Um, so it, it it's just it it's going to be a difficult time going to the World Cup, and I think it's a, it takes a special kind of coach in a special kind of system with a special level of confidence to coach the Eagles going into the World Cup and keep it loose but serious and um, you know detailed but not obsessive, um, and 
And that's the that's the blend that if you can figure out how to bottle it, coaches. Yeah, will, exactly. Will, will but pay a million dollars for it. But I wonder, I wonder about John Mitchell and uh, about the loose but serious stuff. He's a serious guy. At sometimes, I think he likes the players to be loose and comfortable and and enjoy how they're playing. But we've seen some things with their up and down play. He kind of expects them to behave a certain way at, at some time, especially especially on the road. I don't, you know, he hasn't really bottled much on the road, um, you know, done anything worth bottling on the road, um, and I think that's something you, you sort of notice. the the loss The loss to Brazil was on, was on the road. The loss to Uruguay was on the road. The loss to Romania, the only, I mean, the worst loss ever to Romania. We've only lost once before to Romania. Uh, on the road, lost to Tonga. It was a close one, but again on the road, um, you look at the that record of seven, six, and two, uh, which includes the the non-test games. Um, but uh, away from away from home, they're actually uh, two, four, and one. You know? so uh, so one of the ben- one of the benefits for Mitchell has been that he has played a ton of games on home soil. Didn't didn't they also take one on the chin against the Maori? Yeah, that was at home, uh, and I'm, so I'm about, but yes, they they got they got thumped in the Maori. That, that is an apples to apples comparison, and Tolks did have a three and zero run against Canada, and so it wasn't it wasn't like you know he he had already won three in a row going into Mitchell's term, and I think that you, you know you look at a World Cup, everybody's going to be tense when you lose enough. The England camp was tense. And Eddie, yeah. you know, Eddie Jones is the savior of the world. I mean, anybody could have lost that bracket. It was a pool of death. And so is Eddie Jones the savior of the world? England's back in another bracket like that. So we'll see. He may not be. Uh, no, there's a, I think there's a big argument to be made that if the ARC had come a year earlier and told him they got the coach in it, he might still be the coach after the 2015 World Cup. I mean, the ARC is great. It's something we need. Um, but it's a false, you know, it's a facade. If we're going to pretend that by winning that, you know, all, all we're, we're firing on all cylinders. It's a false oh, sense sure. of security because, you know, we're, we're playing Canada and that's probably apples to apples, you know, Brazil, Uruguay, and Chile. I mean, they shouldn't even be in the same conversation. And then we're playing Argentina's 15. So what the hell good is that? We're basically playing around the twenties. So that. So it's not like it's not like it's it's this massive challenge that we need. We probably need a couple more games against Canada and Argentina. I understand, you know, the Uruguay, Chile, and 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 stuff like that in Brazil. But, but Uruguay, Chile, and Brazil play each other. You, you guys, you guys remember when the the USA players started a website, sort of like a news website. Uh, back in like oh oh eight oh nine, and um, one of the and it was Mike Herkus was pretty heavily involved in that, and, and one of the things he kept wanting to say was that the schedule needs to change so they they play winnable games, and he wanted to see winnable test matches and winnable competitions, um, which I think is a fair thing to want, um, and they've got that now after all that time, but it. Because of money issues and the crowded schedule and all things like that, what that means is you have to push something else aside. And they're not playing – I mean, playing Ireland, that's great. But um, – and Georgia – Georgia is a good competition, but they're a tougher competition uh, in Europe than they are uh, in North America. Uh, it, it's, it's a trade-off that they're, they're struggling with. Um, but the trade. No, I don't know. The, yeah. What did they trade though? What, they, they didn't give anything away. Well, they, no, you're, no, you're absolutely right. They didn't give anything away. But but now we're we're looking at a schedule. the The ARC time that's fine. The summer can't we get a, a an extra tougher competition in there? The fall can't. Yeah, we, but we can't we wrap that up a little? We've bit? only ever. I mean, this getting to play a tier one team. Every June is still a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, that's only no, no, no. It's not. No, no I, I would disagree with that. That that's been happening. Well, for it's only 20 been years. it's only been literally every June since like 2012. Now we got them every other June prior to that, but literally every June since 2012. 
I'm not going to have yeah, to I mean, it, that. Is that accurate? No, I don't think that's accurate. Well, Ireland selected a very, very young team to come over here. And that, that doesn't mean that they don't have capable quality players, but they are a young team and they won't be as big. So it's, it's you know, on a Lions tour year, especially, you know, with so many Irish players on it, it'd probably be a little bit more of a challenge to play Scotland in, uh, in, in this upcoming um, season. But, hey, we we are given we we are playing we were playing like Fiji and Samoa and Tonga and those teams and we had played them and then they went away from it the Pacific Nations Cup and the or the Pacific with the rim or whatever it was in the nineties and it went away from it a little bit then it came back a little bit and I it's it's difficult to say we need winnable games we need we need test matches that challenge. That are that are appropriate to our comp. Romania is appropriate. Um, you know, Canada is appropriate. Georgia is appropriate, and a, a, a weakened young Ireland team is appropriate. That that Argentinian, you know, whatever that Argentina fifteen that doesn't include the French players, English players, or the thirty eight guys in the Super Rugby squad. That you know that that's a that's that's a legitimate at the current moment thing. And, and we're getting to the point where, okay, we're better than Canada. We are better than Uruguay, but Uruguay plays us tough for whatever reason. They definitely play us tough down there. That's for sure. And, you know, so maybe give Uruguay a, uh, a bell for that. But we have, I think we need to have things that we're doing. Um, I think we need to have games that are challenging and not games like the Brazil and Chile game. Those aren't challenging. Although we lost to Brazil and Brazil played great, I would rather have a uh, games that are challenging. And I'd rather go three and eight in, in good games than eight and three beating Chile. Okay, so here's the, this is the ARC. It's not like we played other teams in that window and now we're playing lesser teams. The, no, that's, the that's ARC right. is an answer to the fact that we played no one. That's correct. So these are more games. So now the Eagle player who uh, is making, you know, that much more money a year. Now it's not a ton of money, but we're talking thousands of dollars. If you play the entire ARC, you're making a few thousand dollars for that entire time. So now uh, it, it, it's, it, I think it's extremely valuable. And it, it's okay to have a stretch of winnable games. And I don't think – I could be wrong, and I don't uh, – but I don't think that we've – traded more competitive games for less competitive games. All we've done is add some games that we're going to be able to win now. Right. I think that's but, a good thing to have. But we do need to make the trade now, and the trade is done in November, and the, the trade would be to get three or four November Tour games that are really challenging because we've got the ARC. So the trade-off hasn't fully been made because now we have an opportunity either in, either in the summer – and I realize this is they're playing. They have to play Canada and, and the qualifiers, whatever. But either in the summer or the fall, slot if we can slot in an extra Italy or an extra Fiji or something, just ramp it up a little bit. That's where the trade-off is made. Oh, I'm with you, and, and I, I think that that would be fantastic. But you know, we're not the only ones who want to play tier one teams, right? Right. Everybody. Pacific does. Islands want to play tier one teams. Everybody wants to play them, yeah. and it's. Kind of that chicken and egg argument. Once we get good enough, we will. I'll tell you the person that owes us is England. I mean, we've literally played every single Tier 1 team more than we've played England. The one that's a six-hour flight from where Bruce is sitting right now doesn't play us anymore and hasn't played us since, what, 03? Well, that's... And they, they're, they, they got investment in our in, in rugby international marketing... They, they, you know, they've got us by the balls every time we want to get players out of their professional competition. But England doesn't have the time to play us. Well, that's because the Saxons beat us by eighty points, and and also the that whole thing with with, with the All Black game that that came into the United States. The sale of that was to take the professional players for thirteen months. So they had the they had those players come in, train three days, get massacred by the All Blacks, and then the Eagles won it together for thirteen months, leading into the World Cup. 
That's what happened. Uh, was Nigel no, Melvin? We know we so, know about that trade off, but no, the trade off right there. You don't want to have trade offs like that. England is never going to be able to afford to play us in November, and they could play us in in June. But the reality is, we're going to get a better draw in June by playing a Scotland or an Ireland or 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 an Italy than we're going to get from playing England. Because if England were to come, what do you mean by that? We're going to get more people to go to the game. If England were to come here full strength, it it would be it would be a laugh. It'd be a laugh fest. We wouldn't be able to scrum. We would. They would. You know, would we're not that far play. removed from Ireland winning back to back Six Nations championships. There's a. There's it's a, not a, like England is. England's been a monster since Eddie Jones took over after the World Cup, but they're not always. England. A England was a monster before that, leading into the World Cup. They just. They just shit the bed in the World Cup, but. England was definitely a monster. We, we can't forget that England did wipe New Zealand by 20 points in Twickenham. And so it's not to say that England was, isn't a monster. England has always been a monster and shit up the World Cup, which made me laugh. It always makes me laugh when World Cup. I love watching it. And I love watching teams, you know, surprise people and go into... You know, it was great to watch Japan beat South Africa. It's great to see that kind of stuff. But I think that if England, just the way England play, doesn't match up well against us. A young Ireland team, a young Scotland team, we could match that. Physically, we can match that. We can't match England. You know, we just don't. We don't match up well with them. Well, I don't know if it's your last name or what, but in my short time talking to people from uh, the other parts of the UK and knowing people from Ireland, uh, they all have this inferiority complex where England's on a pedestal, and you seem to have them there as well. Where the results don't bear that. Out. I don't. I don't have England uh, on a pedestal. I think England's. I think England is a beatable team. I think that the if US we ain't afraid to play. If we, the US if we ain't afraid to play Scotland. If we ain't afraid to play Ireland. If we ain't afraid to play uh, New Zealand. If we ain't afraid afraid to, afraid to play Australia. Why in God's name are we afraid to play England? We're not going to sell out a stadium just like the rest of them can. We so they need f- to come over here, put some money in our pockets by agreeing to do it, just like all these other tier one teams have. Okay. They've, God knows they've gotten a bit the, the better end of every other agreement between the RFU and USA Rugby under Nigel Melville's time. It's time that we start reaping a little bit of that. We, we are not afraid to play England. In playing New Zealand, who we weren't afraid to play, that wrecked our team going into the World Cup. Because they played because of us. Because a compromise we had to make it was okay, a com- out of the November it, test window. It was a I agree. compromise. I 100% agree. Stupid compromise. But it was done. And they're all idiots for signing on to it. And that, so we agreed to play New Zealand. You know, we were cannon fodder going into it. The game against Australia was right leading into the World Cup. It was just... It was almost a throw-together game. And and 25,000 people paid to watch it. 25,000 people thing, paid thing. to watch it, which, because they didn't do any marketing, at least the New Zealanders came over and tried to sell the game. The Australians right. just shook up care. and looked The Australians yeah. didn't give a damn. And the New Zealanders have come over and, and believe me, they get their hunk of flesh, but they, um, they've come over and they've done the right thing. The Australians didn't do that. And Here's the English the, aren't going to do it. They're not. They, they, they're not going to play it. They're going to Argentina and playing in a Lions series against an Argentina team that's going to be strong. Like, they're not playing Argentina's fifth side. They're playing an Argentina team that's going to be strong playing in the rugby championship. And we're not up I guess to my, I guess my point is, why is it okay for England to just say that it's not worth it? And it, it, to me, it, it is worth it for them to come here. And, and even though we did get shellacked 74 to 6 by the All Blacks, 61,500 people paid to watch that game. And even though we didn't make much money off of it, 60, more than 61,500 people paid to watch Ireland and New Zealand. And 30 odd thousand people are going to pay to watch Ireland, USA. 
and 18,500 paid to watch the Maori in the USA. All these games are things that are opening doors. If we get a Pro 12 team, it's going to have had something to do with these doors that have been opened by people seeing that people are willing to pay, 60-odd thousand people are willing to pay to watch a team of this caliber. And, and the NBC deal, you can't tell me that that had nothing to do with a sold-out Soldier Field twice. So even though it may not be the best how for us on the fun- field in the moment, and I'm still not, hold on, I'm still not saying it's okay the, tra- the trade-off that we made to give our players away, because I was critical, critical of that from the beginning and have been to now, but there's no reason why England can't come over here and play us without bending us over the barrel for player availability going forward and put a little bit of money back into the coffers here and help build some awareness and stateside. When have we made money on any of this stuff? And if we did, where did it go? We haven't made money. We made some money. We we made some money. We are the United States of America. Rugby football union is broke. Yes, they didn't get rich off of it. They they didn't go into 2015's World Cup without spending quite a bit of money from the 2014 summer. You could could argue that they just used it to to bridge a gap because they were still doing all the things they normally do to make themselves broke. Um, Being broke is a big part of it, right? And and the the, the trade-offs on players is is something I think was a was a source of frustration for John Mitchell. He brought it up a lot. Um he tried not to whine about it to his credit, but he did bring it up a lot. And money is a big issue. You mentioned it earlier, but uh the reason nobody in 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 uh, USA rugby office is shedding a tear about the change is because they can't afford him. And they need to go find somebody who is making a third of that amount of money that they're paying him. Hey, one, quick, that, one, quick right? thing, one quick thing. The players still make the same amount of money. I think it's $100 a day. That, and sometimes less. And very few, very seldom a little bit more. They still make the same amount of money that they made 10 or 15 years ago. So it's... That hasn't improved. So, and Pat, the, the problem with guys going away and coming back, especially say a guy from New York who, you know, he's leaves for three weeks. So it makes 2100 bucks. They charge him SIP. They charge him. It's, it's, it's actually laughable what they do. And they have to pay the full Social Security because they're on a 1099. So that's 15.3% of that. So whatever, 15% of a grand is 150. It's 300 bucks out. On a $2,100. They haven't even paid their rent. And they still have to pay their rent. Because your, your rent payment, your car payment stays with you. Regardless of whether you're in the country or not. And regardless of what your job is. So while $100 going away, making a couple grand is nice. But, you know, you're making a couple grand at the expense of having a job leading up to it. Having a job to come back to. And all of those things. These players, it's it's an enormous strain on them. And if we were to look at, say, how many people are on the tour? 30, 30 players they usually like to take? 30, 31? Maybe, maybe so, 26, but yeah. Mitchell makes $260,000. So 26 players, he, would, he could pay $10,000 per player. They could make $200 a day instead of 100 and we would have 50 days with the team together. I, you know, it, 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 and that's not even to mention the other salaries that are being paid. There's, it's a top-heavy thing where the management is paid everything and the workers are getting nothing. And those college and, athletics look fair. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree with you. The NCAA I, is it, legal slavery. And we could say, I'll tell you, I say that to anybody who will listen. That's a joke. Right. They do, I, I agree with you. And the NBA, man. What happens there is almost laughable. The fact that they make these players play for a year is a joke. Um, so you, you you have a situation where, uh, you know, and we can throw it all on Melville, throw a ton of it anyway. He makes the trade-offs uh, with player availability that undercuts the performance of the, the national team. He's the one who knows he's leaving 
and signs a long-term contract with two head coaches, um, Mike Friday as well. He extended him, which, I, which uh, you know, I guess he, he, that was his job. But at the same time, when you know you're leaving, shouldn't that be the decision of the person coming in? to at least have a look at it and say, this is what I have to live with. But he dumped these two massive long-term contracts on him. And we know, right, that, that Dan Payne looked at this and said, that these are fixed costs. This is nothing I can do about this. Um, you know, hap- happy, that, happy that they're winning a few games, but you, you can't sustain it. Well, the a couple pool. of points of fact. One is Payne was on the search committee to hire Mitchell. All right. So he enough. was one of the yeah. people on the hiring committee. So well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't there. say sign him for four years, though. Hey, his hands he, are not. And clean. he didn't say sign. All right. Yeah, I All agree right. with Pat. Okay. Dan's hands are not clean in that one, and Magaldi's hands are not clean in the other, and they're not clean in both of them. And the board's hands, it that's just a blatant irresponsibility. That's a blatant right. dereliction of duty. So I agree. And. Rim, while it may be legal, it is certainly immoral. Well, it's Rim not, is. It doesn't. That's, that's the topic for another day. But that Rim isn't the only thing. Rim is screwing are the people that are that have invested in it because they ain't getting a dime well, of it out of it. Well, yeah, and but that the, thing is gonna. Right, they're not getting anything out of it. But USA Rugby is uh, is hamstrung by the idea that you know if they. If they uh they, they can't talk to anybody about a major sponsorship because that's Rim's job. Oh, I know. And <laughs> and and Rim won't do it. They're not it's not like they're uh beating the bushes and getting uh um you know getting massive deals done, right? They're not. It it's you no. it's you, it, it hamstrung us hugely. Yeah. And and it was very difficult for Mitchell to complain about availability of players or things like that. When he's not available and he's not playing anyone good, so it doesn't matter, they're going to win anyway. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, if the Knicks are going to be playing Pleasantville High School in basketball, while the Knicks may not be the best basketball team on the planet, they don't even need to have everyone show up. They win the game. You know, because that's what they, you know, that's the USA versus Brazil in, in rugby is, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's like the high school team playing a pro team. It's, it's that much of a disparity. Yeah. Same with Chile. Those aren't games. Those are foregone conclusions. And that's, you, you know, you don't want to play a foregone conclusion. It's, it's a big problem in the World Cup, too. And it, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, the World Cup has always talked about trying to address that. They try to, you know, you can sit and say, oh, they, they're trying to fix it or, you know, change the way things are done. That's just, you know, that, I would say that's not true. I mean, look no. at, look at how many, I mean, look at the exploitation of the, of the, of the foreign, look at the exploitation of the, of the Pacific Island nations in rugby by the major rugby playing nations. And look at the exploitation and, of the foreign rules. I mean, there are well, the foreign rules. But the, hold on. The, the, the foreign rules are interesting to me because I think all they've done is actually exacerbate the problem. Because these kids, when if you want to talk about New Zealand mining the Pacific Islands for, for talent, they don't go and get 20-year-olds that become eligible at 23. They go get 15, 14, 16-year-olds that become eligible before they would ever even play for New Zealand. And now they'll become eligible two years later, but still well within their playing window. So it's not really going to hurt New Zealand uh, or, or some of the teams that have traditionally taken, you know, uh, mind the island talents. All it does is hurt tier two nations like the United States. All it does is hurt people like Ireland who have a very small playing population. And I think when Ireland is competitive, it's good for world rugby or people like Ireland is good for world rugby. And all of it does is bolster people like France and New Zealand and England, who have massive playing populations, and, and I think it actually broadens the gap when they change. The Absolutely. Game Why would anyone think that the government is going to do things when you're in charge of the government? Why would anyone think that they're going to do things to harm themselves? I mean, it, it it's the IRB is the government. 
and they are doing things to to entrench themselves and to empower themselves and to strengthen themselves. They don't do things to harm themselves. What what the IRB what the IRB or World Rugby wants is they want somebody like the United States to be better, so that you know that's okay that we we USA might beat Fiji once in a while or one of those other uh, flyover countries. Um, and if the USA plays Wales or Australia or somebody like that, that it's a pretty good game, but they lose. That's what they want. They yeah, want they be- want they want all those other guys, you know, the 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 standard go-to countries to still win. Everybody wants that. They just want the games to be uh, less of a blowout when it happens. A little bit more fun to watch. World rugby basically wants American money. They want sure. Chinese yeah. money. They want American. They don't care if we're any good. They just care if we go to the game and spend money. Well, you know, uh, yeah, but USA being a little bit better and more competitive is the pathway partly to that money. I mean, I I agree with you in that. That's based on American culture, but most people don't really watch rugby. It's a niche sport, and it's a confusing game. Right. you but know, but it, okay, but but it, you know you're sitting as a, you know as we I think we all were, you know watching TV after the USA played New Zealand in Chicago, and the local news said, hey, you know there was this game and it was really exciting and they sold out Soldier Field. Oh, how did the game go? Well, they they got killed seventy four to six, and that that little thing is how important they, people don't need to know anything about rugby in the United States. For them to know that seventy-four to six is worse than thirty-two to nineteen, and if it was thirty-two to nineteen, then people go, "Hey, all right, not bad against the world champions." Okay, cool. You know, that's kind of that's kind of all we're shooting for. Uh, by the way, we were talking about you know being the only the 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 chance for the USA to be the first America's one team. Okay. They they let's say they win this series against Canada. They're in Pool C in the World Cup. They're in the pool with England, France, Argentina, and Oceania too, which is probably Fiji. I mean, it, right? What 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 are the chances they win Not a single much of game? A there? Right. Uh, you know, America's two is actually a better deal because there's Georgia in there who they could beat, and Oceania one, Wales and Australia still very very difficult. Um, you kind of want to be in Pool B. That would be nice. Pool A is better too, but Pool C is the worst pool to be in. Oh, I was, I was, I was thinking when the World Cup thing came out that the U.S. may want to tank the game. But yeah. the reality yeah. is, you don't, you don't get yourself the, you don't, you don't get games that are going to allow you to be prepared to play in that second pool. Well, hey, hey look, if everybody wants good games, now you got them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Beat Canada. Now you got all the good games. You, now, you, now you got all the good games you can handle. All right, so um, we're going to move on. Just it's a little. Be fun to, you know, I want to so. move on. I want to move on just to, to wrap this up because uh, we've been at it for close to an hour. Um, John Mitchell goes. Who comes in his place? If it's not an, if you don't have an individual's name, and I don't, what's what's the profile of this person? For example, is it? Uh, an American born American citizen is it uh, doesn't matter where the person's from as long as he lives in the United States uh, is it has does it have to be a former national team player because they understand things um, and maybe a little bit more about what you you see that person's role is it just coaching the Eagles and and that's it or does there need to be an expanded role um, Pat, you go first. Tell me what you think you'd like to see. Uh, well, I mean, I've got a name and, and an idea. So my idea, you know, I don't think it has to be an American. I don't think it has to be an American-born person. I don't think it has to be somebody who's been living in America for X amount of time. I do think it's beneficial if the person understands how the game works here, understands, as Mike Friday discussed um, most of his first year, that there are many different cultures understands, uh, like Bruce talked about, the struggle of the American player who's still got to pay his rent, which, by the way, the rent in New York is another reason to live in Kansas City. Um, (laughs) So that's all helps if you understand those things. But it has to be somebody, first and foremost, who's committed to bettering the game in America 
And that doesn't just mean winning uh, as many test matches as possible. That also means helping develop players at the next the, the next tier, at the U-20 tier, the U-23 tier, or the high school American tier, helping develop a system where people can get better through it, helping better the the, the systems of identification and, and development and pathway, and, and coach development. So it's somebody who's all in, and, and that encompasses all the things that you could possibly expect of a head coach. And somebody who's willing to do that for, you know, say 100 to 150-ish thousand dollars a year. And, and we'll submit the time. Now, that said, I think the guy Scott Warrens. Uh, Scott ticks a lot of those boxes. Obviously, he just very intimately knows the domestic game. Him and Dan Payne, obviously, are, have a long working history together. Scott Lawrence won the Junior World Trophy with the U-20s. He's a former national team player, so on and so forth. I've never met anybody who knows Scott Lawrence and doesn't basically worship at his altar in terms of his ability to coach and lead men. So I think Scott Lawrence is going to be the guy, um, and I feel pretty confident in saying that. And he fits the profile of what I would want, even if I didn't know his name. I think that the again doesn't matter where the coach is from; they have to understand the American landscape. That's one hundred percent, and and that's what has been lacking. I mean, you would almost have to say that I would. I would have thought that when Scott got named, I had heard, you know, something rumblings that how long is Mitchell going to be around? And then Scott got named to that thing. And then Mitchell got, Mitchell resigned a day later. And so I would think that that's done. I think, I think it's, you know, maybe they're going to have an application process. They're not going to have a ton of time. Um, because they're still going to have to put some systems and stuff in place, but uh, I think there's going to be, I think I think that's going to be a dumb deal. I don't, I don't know. But certainly, you know, it's a, it's it's interesting. It's interesting because maybe like a year ago, if you talked to people about this, uh, they might have thought that uh, Scott Lawrence would be the new CEO of USA Rugby and Dan Payne would be the one coaching the Eagles, but. Uh, um, Scott Scott Lawrence is is the only name that came to my mind, um, and which is why I didn't have any names because I think you need more than one. But um, the other thing that people really like about him, or or respect about him, is that he's a systems guy. He's an organizational guy, and a and a good uh, national team coach is also an administrator, a manager. And Scott can do that. Look, the whole thing is just everything is about who do you surround yourself with? And you have to surround yourself with people that you ultimately, optimally trust with 100% knowledge that your noses are pointed in the same direction and that you're going to win. So what seemingly is happening here, Dan, is has realized from a drastic mistake that he has to go with what he trusts. And what he knows and trusts these days is the Life University people. So it's going to be, I would imagine, that it's going to be Scott. Because that, you know, maybe 11 years ago, he's, it would be somebody from the Ombak structure. I'm saying that if you want to go into something and you want to go in with your noses aligned and you want to go in with everything having you know goals that are set that are clear that are understandable then you have to go with somebody that you know and it's okay to go with someone you know and say all right the crusaders are dominating in super rugby right now Scott Robertson is a young coach, and his assistant coaches are guys that he coached with. He does not doesn't he didn't go combing the world for this all star or this big name or that right. No, my he, point he is, Bruce, and, and I think you should be sensitive to this. My point is that when Tolkien was the head coach, all right, there were a lot of people who would just say, "Oh, he's going to petri the Nyack Xavier guy." That doesn't mean that he wasn't also the best man for the job. 
So just because Lawrence is a life guy and that's his connection to Dan Payne doesn't also mean he's not the best man for the team. That's all I'm saying. I didn't. I, I never said that. But I said no. That, but if you characterize it as a life guy, then that's not. I was character. What I was characterizing was that Dan made a drastic mistake in going with somebody he had no idea what he was getting in the bed with. And now he has to go with somebody that he 100% trusts. That's what he has to do. Otherwise, they're going to be in a bigger disaster and broker than ever. So that's what I mean. I, I don't, I'm not that had, that's taking nothing away from Scott. I respect Scott. I've always respected Scott. But in terms of you could say, you know, you can't say that other people can't coach or that nobody can. Tim O'Brien. I mean, you, you could throw names out until you're blue and who are just as good as Scott. But in this situation, Dan needs somebody he knows and trusts fully. That's Scott. That doesn't, but that's not to say that Scott's the only coach in America. That's laughable. Completely laughable. There are well, other. I don't know who said that. I, I didn't. I know, say but that's that. what I. But what I'm saying is, yes, Scott's, Scott's a good coach, but there's other good coaches who are fully capable of doing it. And all I'm saying is that if he were, if he were to be chosen, then Dan is making a choice based on something that. Look, if you if we can't read between the lines then we can't read between the lines. He gets hired, other guy quits. If I were Scott, I'd have said to Dan, hey, how about uh, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out? And let's get this show on the road now. That's what, I mean, that's what should have been done. You know, but for whatever reason, and then, you know, and, and Alex put forth the reasons that they probably were. Look, if we want to win, we have to stop being political and decide we're going to win and we're going to behave and we're going to do things in such a way that are going to allow us to win. And you know what? If we beat Canada, we are in a cauldron. So in two years, we better be prepared to hit that cauldron. And if we're not, then Scott Lawrence is going to be the next one out there. And, and I, I think I think you're right. You know, you, you, there are a lot of guys who tick all the boxes. But if you find someone who ticks all the boxes and you have that level of trust and you can't you don't have time to do an exhaustive search. I re, I really don't think you do, even if you say, Oh, well, you know, he's gonna give you plenty of time. He's gonna leave in July, and then you've got July and August. And so, no, you don't really have that much time because you gotta you gotta get started on the job. And that was the problem with Mitchell in that they didn't sign him until he'd missed his scouting window, and so he was six months behind, really, in scouting players and figuring out who he who he had available. Um, and he didn't you know got, how to use a VCR or DVR. Well, well yeah, but but you know, video he, video but, was completely out of out of the realm of possibility. True. Oh, okay, fair enough. But he had, he, he he had to start with the team he had in the uh, the first ARC. That's he had to be doing that first. And then after that, then he goes back and says, okay, well, these are the team players that sucked there, and these are the players that played well, and now let's look for some other stuff. But he should have been doing that in November and in December, but he wasn't signed on there. Um, and so move quickly is part of it, and that fits in with the whole thing about checking all the boxes and the trust, which again points to Lawrence, not because, he's the, as, he, as Bruce said, he's the only option, but he's a very, very logical option. Do we like that option? Yes. I mean, if I'm Dan, that's 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 the guy he has to hire. I mean, I, you know, that would that would be that would be his logical choice. Yeah. All right. Which All right. you know, that would be the logic. You know, and then and then seeing it afterward, I I think that's uh. That's uh, I, I think that's a foregone conclusion. Like I said, you know, there's a lot of coaches, but in that in that situation, Dan needs somebody you can trust. He needs somebody you can trust, and if their nose is pointing in the same direction, 
they worked together for a long time, so they will have discussed these exact things. They will have been working together when Dan was coaching the Eagles. They would have been so these exact things that are, are being discussed or that are national team issues, they haven't changed. They haven't changed in a very long time. The issues are still the same. So these two will have discussed how to handle all those issues, and now that's how it's going to be. I'm sure that there's going to be people who apply. In fact, I know that there's going to be people who apply. And, But I don't think that he's going to give it to anybody but Scott. And I, think it's, I don't know whose call it's going to be, but I think it's going to be his call. I think it's going to be Dan's call. Now we can, now we, we can only hope. I think that does it for the show, guys. Um, and we'll jump back after we see uh, how the Eagles start off. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the CRC after uh, um, Pat's great trip to beautiful, sunny Chester, Pennsylvania. Um, but I think that does it for us right here. Uh, Rugby Matrix America is brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. Thanks a lot to Irish Rugby Tours also for supporting this podcast. Uh, check out what uh, I've got going on Golf Rugby Report and FlowRugby.com. And check out what Pat is writing about on Rugby Today. And uh, that's going to do it, guys. Um, you've solved it all. You've Figured it out for me, that's for sure. Um, and thanks for listening to Rugger Matrix America.